0: Get your days worked up, get your days worked up, get your days worked up, get your worked up, soon you'll be. Adam, welcome on board, mate. Firstly, I love the hat. I'll have to get myself one of them.
1: I'll send you up one, mate. They're yeah. uh, not that I like to name sponsors or anything, but they're the best running hat that your money can buy.
0: <laughs> brand sponsors shout out already eh? oh they're not actually How's sponsors yet. they're just
1: yeah man yeah really uh interesting life life's taken a little bit of a turn where i just feel like i'm getting a do-over with lots of things um you know getting to do over my health getting to do over search for hurt as a tv show that i did a decade ago due to that there's some other things that are kind of you know, making a return into my life, which has made life really interesting at the minute.
0: Yeah, I can imagine, mate. And you know, obviously, we, we met almost twelve months ago, I think it was now, and um, I've been obviously following you on what you're doing and bloody interesting guy. So give us a bit of a <laughs> um background, I guess, into you know what you've done in the past, because I know you were involved a lot in, you know, you were an investor in, in a few businesses, and you know, obviously had a uh, another brand that you launched last year, I believe, and now you know, obviously search for hurt too. So mate, I'd be really fascinated to know a bit of your journey of like where it all started in your your career of business and where you've gotten to now.
1: Yeah, well, I've always, I've been a bit of a tragic when it comes to entrepreneurialism, I guess, even from as a kid selling. I used to have a milk, back when Milkman used to drive the streets delivering milk, um, I remember when Move was the first ever flavoured milk brand and people were just like... (sighs) mind blown that you could put flavoring into milk as part of them launching fa- flavored milk which I think it was only chocolate at the time they created these stickers called moot and they had move on it and anyway so my milko I think was supposed to give them out to every single person in his route but he used to just give them to us kids in one big swag so he didn't have to hand them out individually and I used to take them to school and sell them and that was kind of my first little dip into a bit of entrepreneurialism and, and knowing that if you've got something that people want it, it's a pretty easy sell and then that was back back a long time ago I'm 51 now so it was a many moons ago I was in school and then yeah just always been interested in in the business side of things more than I didn't bother going to uni although I got accepted for accountancy I just kept deferring that and went and worked and and the more that I worked as a young guy I just found I was interested in how the business operated more so than what was involved with the work so that kind of led me into uh into a spiral and then probably I only had really had one solid job before i have now been self-employed for 30 plus years and uh and that was with pepsi and so i was listening to a self-help and i think it was on a cassette tape this is how long ago it was and it might have it might have even been uh be one of the gurus like who's the who's the guy that does all the the self-help stuff the big guy i'll think of his name but but yeah i had it i had it was it tony robbins yeah tony robbins that's it and i and i bought like a mastering yeah yeah so and it was a six-pack tape and then uh he was saying in that that to be successful in anything in life you need to learn how to sell and and back in the day people used to would rather die than sell anything like it was this taboo subject that nobody wanted to do and so i kind of thought about it and thought well what's a company that i could work for to learn how to sell things that was a company that was absolutely getting dominated in the market and back then you know, people used to call Pepsi Coke because anything that was black and fizzy was Coke. And so, yeah. So I, I walked into Pepsi headquarters, which was owned by twoies at the time. And they, they were at Huntingwood near Blacktown. And I walked in and I basically just said to the receptionist, you know, I want to see about getting a job here. And it just so happened that the state sales manager was in at a meeting in the office at that time because they're normally on the road. And, uh, she goes, Oh, that's unusual, you know, cause no one had just walked up and asked for a job. And, and then anyway, I got into a meeting with him and I told him what I wanted to do. And I left that meeting with a, like a dark blue VN Commodore wagon, a big brick phone (laughs) and 28 grand a year salary. (laughs) And, and that was my, I used to run around and have to convince shop owners to pull money out of their pocket and put, pepsi into their business which was a hard sell but then fortunately we had gatorade pepsi got the rights to sell gatorade in australia and that was while i was running around and being the only you know electrolyte isotonic sort of drink in its time all of these business owners started wanting to to get gatorade in their fridges which meant that they had to get pepsi fridges and so anyway that period was quite good and and we had some other periods through that as well like when the giardia scare the water scare contamination thing happened and no because no one used to buy bottled water. Water. And uh, I was working in the Northern beaches where if you were going to sell, I would sell more bottled water than what I would Pepsi because they're more bottled water drinkers. And then when the scare came through that the people couldn't drink tap water anymore, I remember selling like hundreds of thousands of bottles of water in one day. So anyway, I just, I used to look at opportunities. Um, we were owned by Fritulé as well in the States. And uh, and so I used to do bundling when bundling wasn't a thing. And I think I even came up with the, the bundling concept in convenience stores where we we used to do water and pretzels because we were owned by their guys who owned the pretzels. So yeah, so I just, I don't know. I've just always looked for opportunities, learned to sell through Pepsi, move that into sports advertising and painting stuff onto the grass. So uh, back in the day, now they superimpose it, but they, we used to hand paint logos onto sporting fields and, you know, worked with some really cool innovations like robots that would mark them out. So they look like they were 3D, you know, paints that you could paint on and wash off. So you could have multi-sport, like different codes playing in the same venues and went down that for a little bit and that was really successful and that kind of spearheaded me into being an investor. One of the things that I invested in was a TV project. Well, it wasn't, it was a film project initially because they didn't, we didn't really have a TV deal before we turned the cameras on, but we just wanted to document this cool thing of sending this young ex-triathlete around Australia competing in all cool events. And back then it was, we went to the first Tough Mudder, you know, the first sky running marathon, you know. So we went to an adventure race and, and just to, to events that people love doing, but not they didn't get mainstream media coverage. And so that was the concept of Search for Hurt when, when we first started it. But then Matt, who was the kid who we sent around in the Winnebago, he got injured second event in, I think it was, he got pretty badly injured and, and couldn't run anymore. And so being that I had all the contacts in the sporting industry, we kind of pivoted to then have him because he could do short burst stuff. He just couldn't do the long endurance stuff. So we pivoted into him Uh, dropping in and training with all the elite sporting teams. So so Search for Hurt became really well-renowned for that, but it was through a pivot that kind of... you know. So I guess if you wrap... The stuff that I do up until now has been very... Like I'm an opportunist, so things will come my way. I assess them. I do the due diligence. If they make sense, I will then pursue them and go at them at 120% and turn things from an idea into a reality pretty quickly. That's sort of been my wheelhouse. Now, though... um, after finding meditation of all the weird things that I could find you know being an opportunist I've now actually got a long-term vision of where I want to be and I make all my decisions on the things I invest in and the things that I spend my energy in by answering a simple question is that and that's you know does it get you to where your goal is and if it's a yes then I look at it if it's a no no matter how good the opportunity is I just don't even look at it anymore so that's that's been a bit of a turnaround so and I think that's why a lot of the stuff like I'm doing a do over of a lot of the stuff
0: that I did back in the day and, you know you've got some kind of fire burning inside you for business and seems to always be that you have. So going back like into so Search for Hurt, you obviously you know kicked that off so, quite some time ago, but is it of recent that you've decided to to correct me if I'm wrong, relaunch it or did is because it, it seemed you know there's a big push on social media. I'm seeing now that you're BFT involved, um, and so forth. So how's all that going in terms of you know getting it back up and running?
1: So it was a decade, so it, it launched onto ESPN ten years ago in the July just part. So it was- was actually our 10th year anniversary of of launching this crazy reality docu series cuz back when we we launched it there was nothing like it on telly and ESPN took a little bit of a punt on us in that they always like they only ever used to put documentaries so they'd have like the 30 for 30s and the the good sports documentaries or they'd have live sport they never had a weekly yeah. series so we were actually the first weekly series that ever aired on on ESPN so they took a little bit of a punt on us in that regard And that was ten years ago that we were on air. So the first season, you know, the deal was very just get us on TV. It was a risk for everybody involved. So you know, the deal wasn't very good from my end financially, but you know, it got me on ESPN, which was cool. The first series took off. Everybody loved it because, like I said, it was just something very unique. You know, nobody had seen anything like it before. We were we were showing insights into how pro athletes trained, um, and and how they would get ready and how they'd sleep and recover and eat and and all the things associated with being at top 1% and you just didn't get that in t- on TV so that that resonated with people really well and we kind of got this cult following in the health industry like in the health and wellness kind of industry so that led to us doing a 2 year deal for seasons 2 and 3 and that was a good deal financially for me and it was a, it was a good position because I didn't have to brand the content so I was paid by ESPN or Disney to to produce it and as long as I produced it for less than what I got income wise was profitable and we managed to do that because we were always very it didn't matter how big the deal was we it had a better production value the more bootstrapped it was and that's something that we're yeah. keeping this time around as well but so part of that two-year deal was that they kept trailing rights so they had the rights for the two years but they had rights past that as well and of which i only recently got back so as the world works i got sean from espn sent me a photo of a hard drive with a post-it note on it saying "Adam McDonald mcdonald's search for hurt and he said we're going to ship you over the program files. When I got the rights back, they delete it from their servers and he he gave me a courtesy call just saying, hey, do you want us to put the program files on a hard drive? He shipped them over to a mate of mine. Actually, no, he bought them over personally because he was coming, he's an Aussie and he was coming back on holidays and one of my, we've got mutual friends Jason Bennett and he dropped it at Jason's place but he sent me this photo and I stuck it on LinkedIn and just said, hey what a spin out, I'm getting my TV show back from back in the day, getting the rights back and stuff and, and as LinkedIn works and how the world works these days, someone Someone must have commented on my post, who which then put it in front of a feed of someone who was his mate. This guy produces a whole lot of shows for Channel Seven, so Jace Kennedy, his name is. And and so anyway, we just got into a conversation around he he'd been into conversations with Channel Seven where our show got mentioned because Seven bought the rights off ESPN one summer, and it was and it rated really well. So when they were looking for more content ideas, they were kind of like doing the where are they now sort of thing, and and no one knew what was going on with Search for Her because it laid dormant for so long and then he saw that post and he hit me up and then we just started talking and then he went back to seven and said hey search for her could be available have you got any slots for it next year and they said yeah we've got nine episodes we can fit in between the 22nd of June and I think it's like the 17th of August so yeah we so we took that spot initially I was going to work in partnership with with Jason from this other production company but I soon realized that you know like I haven't played in the branded content model before so when you're dealing with free to wear they give you the eyeballs that I never used to get with espn especially when everyone started moving away from foxtel when netflix and nba league passes and that started Um, yeah we went seven but it's branded content so we have to sort of get sponsors to cover the the cost of the production and i didn't want to produce infomercials and it was an all new world And, and jace's format of selling branded content i didn't really like or it didn't resonate with me so we ended up moving up like Sort of parting ways. And, um, and I've moved towards a community model because I'm getting back into production. We've got search for hurt. We've got opportunities to produce other content in and around in that world as well. And for me, part of my my visualization through meditation was that I wanted to produce content that inspired people to move more and get healthy. So they avoided the pitfalls that I had when I got sick and, you know, got all the comorbidities and cancer and stuff. And yeah, so we're full in production. But what I do is I have like a co-op style setup that I have that I call activation. Because we travel around filming for the show, I don't want to just like, I can get brands, you know, like so, say C4 Energy is one of our partners, right? So I can get them coverage on the show by having our athletes drink their pre-workout and stuff like that. But there's so much more that we can do for them in and around the production that's just not branded content. So we can produce bespoke content when we travel Australia and meet with all these other athletes and do these pool activations, like we can get so much more than just branded content for them. And plus two, we can activate their products at a lot of the places we go to as well. So instead of just having a pure, you know, Hey, give us a a bunch of cash and we'll put your brand on our TV show. And then I mean, I'm committed then to then create an infomercial, which I don't want to do. So the Mm. way that we do it now is that we just share the production cost of everything that we do. So the podcast, the magazines, uh, one show for TV, One show we're looking at SBS food, one show will be a YouTube series. The whole slate for all that, being done in-house is just covered by our co-op partners at the moment I only want to work with 10 brands 300k a year we can get everything produced you know where it's not infomercials it's beautiful and so for each of our partners at like two and a half grand a month it just works out to be such an awesome deal because the con you know you're getting professionally produced content lots of content that you wouldn't get otherwise because when are you in perth doing an Xterra triathlon and can have your yeah. brand associated with that and plus two they get they kind of own part of the brand so search for her is a community asset where if they want to do like so if these guys want to sell search for herd hats they can and that's how they can make back their membership fees you know we've got event people wanting to do events with it we can do on pack promotions we can do the whole community kind of own it's a community project you know everybody that's in the in the activation community owns a piece of the brand which i think is kind of cool as well
0: yeah that's really cool and what a uh, an interesting i mean you know i have no idea how the whole tv paid tv world works but uh, it sounds like you've kind of you know gone spoken to the big dogs at espn channel 7 and then gone Mm. i want to do it my way a bit more which is pretty cool
1: yeah yeah well it just you've only got to look at anything that's on free-to-air telly now like you know i remember when the block was on tv and that first series that they did in bondi was awesome you know you learned so much about Mm. renovating properties and but now reality tv is and i put a post up about it on linkedin this morning and i'm like it's just turned into a drama fest right so now you watch the block and outside of it just being a, a non like a Visual catalog of all their sponsors and a you know Mick Cafe coffee you know like you're just getting it rammed down your throat, which has got nothing to do with what the actual show concept is about. Like yeah. it's just the producer's job is just to bring the worst out in people, right? You know it gets ugly, and when you're watching it, you feel anxious. Like it's nearly like a train wreck, but people love watching it because it's drama and it's all the rest of it. But for me, I just wanted to do something where we brought the best out in people versus the worst, and you can see it in our community now. Before we've even turned a camera on, we've got people doing PFTs and burpee challenges and trying to run their fastest 5k all as part of the qualification of the show but even then when the show goes to air you know people are going to be able to download all the training programs that we prepare our athletes for to get ready for all these individual events and like so everything that we we all the information that we extract as a brand and as a as a as a media project all of our audience is going to have access to that and that's you know so that goes to yes we have community within brands that part of our activation we've got to community within the fitness industry like i won't take a fitness industry sponsor we'll work with them like so with bft they've got a really good connection with high rocks who made part of our you know, their PFT test was part of our, our our qualification. But I wouldn't, if BFT came to me with a big bag of cash saying, hey, we want to be a sponsor of, of Search for Hurt, we don't do sponsorships with, with the fitness industry because I want every gym franchise or every single PT guy or every CrossFit box to feel like Search for Hurt is part of their community. Um, and I just think that if yeah. you do a deal, a financial deal with just one of those partners... It kind of taints it a little bit so so we just have hmm. a you know i want it where i'll give the license for all gyms to to actually show search for hurt on their cardio equipment like if they want to show search for hurt on there like i want everybody to have access to it so it's not pigeonholed or restricted and and that's going to be the same with all of
0: our with all of our media projects and we've got quite a few on the board cooking mate that's amazing and how exciting i'm, I'm really looking forward to watching it um to be honest so like going back, obviously, you know, the search for her um, being created some time ago, you obviously hit some some struggles with your personal health uh, also. Um, did that, you know, obviously having, you know, those kind of scary realities of life, you know, thrown on your doorstep, did that kind of push you to to, you know, really go back into this search for her and, you know, create a business model and lifestyle around fitness for yourself as a whole and also to inspire others yeah man like
1: i was i call it the decade of destruction so it was it would have been probably between like the it was probably a bit longer than a decade that the wheels started falling off but say i think between 35 and 45 was the real bad bad period for me and my health and it was like i always remember man and and funny like I never had anybody kicking me in the ass or telling me different, even though I knew that my health was, you know, I knew I was getting heavier, you know, I knew that I wasn't as fit. I knew, I knew all the things that were happening, but I didn't realize that when I used to pride myself on having two or three hours sleep and be like the most fully functioning entrepreneur ever. And I used to pride myself as like, you know, sleeps for pussies, you know, you don't need to sleep, rip in, be tough, you know, kind of like a, yeah. a, a Goggins style style approach on everything, but you know, I was I was I was doing things that were cool and inspiring other people to get healthy and fit because we didn't only have the TV production show, we ended up with an events company as well. And we had magazines like I created the first ever CrossFit magazine with a mate of mine, Ben Quinney, called Wadmag. So we were just we were in this industry well I was in this industry that inspired people to be the best version of themselves. But while I was facilitating that, I was becoming the worst version of myself. And so 10 years of just poor, like traveling all the time. Like I was always on the road between my signage business and then the events business and then the filming. I was like, I'd spend probably 250 to 300 nights a year in in a in a in a, you know uh, a hotel bed eating hotel food pub food drinking meeting up with all the people that wanted to catch up with me um and and I did that for like a solid 5 years of just mostly eating out and when you go you know what it's like when you're traveling like you know I'll meet up with a mate or I'll have a meeting and it involves a couple of beers and then a couple of beers you get the munchie like you want to eat the house down and then you would sit down and instead of just having one meal you're having an entree a main and then sometimes even a dessert. And then after that, I'm cracking a bottle of red and I'm drinking that while eating a block of chocolate, punching out some more stuff on my computer till two o'clock in the morning, you know, and then dragging myself to bed at three and then naturally waking up at five or six. And then I feel a little bit doughy. So I'm like, oh man, wouldn't mind punching a bacon and egg roll. So I'd go down have a big white, ugly coffee and a big white roll with full of bacon and cheese and whatever. And and it was just this vicious cycle man and it just and it kept snow, yeah. snowballing and then probably 10 years in to doing that i was driving home just before christmas and it was the last meeting of the year and and i had to pull over cuz i thought i was having a heart attack i i was you know cold sweat my heart was racing i didn't know what was going on and it was just before i got home in a and we lived at Long Jetty and the suburb before was Killarney and a, where I pulled up, there was a new medical center that had just opened and it still had the sign just going, you know, now open. And so I I parked my car and walked into the medical center and because it had just opened, they didn't have anybody in there. Which, And so I've walked in. They thought I'm having some drug-induced attack or a panic attack or something. I think I'm having a heart attack, so I'm panicking because I think I'm having a heart attack. And this, you know, 70-something-year-old Indian doctor walks out to me and he's like, Come on in. And then anyway, so he, he sat with me for probably an hour. And he, and so he did a full, you know, dove into my what I'm doing and everything else. And he gave me one piece of advice that stuck with me forever. And he goes, there's no point being the richest guy in the graveyard. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then anyway, before meeting him, I'd never, ever had a blood test before. Never, like never done anything. And so I left there, I left his office with uh, a, a blood request form. Just to get a full screen to see where I was at with everything and see what was going on, and a prescription for Prozac. <laughs> so, because wow. he's like, "Dude, we've got to level you out," and and so anyway, and I I saw you know I got the Prozac prescription, and I and I, I actually ended up getting it later on I didn't get it right away because I was a bit embarrassed that you know oh, I don't need that kind of thing and you know all the rest of it but yeah um, I did get my blood spun and then early in the new year once they reopened he called me in and he said man you got to come in we've got your blood results and I had a cholesterol level of 16.3 which was the second highest he'd ever seen and he said and the the person that beat you is no longer around to tell the story um i had i was full-blown type 2 diabetes so i'd missed pre-diabetes and gone full-on into type 2. i had um blood pressure issues i had fatty liver disease i had everything going on and so that was that was when i got into the i guess the health system to see what you know like i've seen both sides of the health system now and and it's pretty flawed and yeah and it was nearly 12 months to the day that that happened that I started noticing get I was getting a lump um, like right at the bottom here near my collarbone um, and it would only yeah. pop up when I was hot. So I'd get really hot at the time because I sold all my businesses to get off Life's Treadmill and I was helping a mate build it one summer and it was a really hot summer and we'd be on the roof and when I'd get really, really, really hot, I'd get this big bulge here and doing the Dr. Google thing, there's nothing there that should swell up like you're… you're um, your thyroid's up here, all your other bits are nowhere near it. So that made me go in and get a check because I just couldn't work out what it was. And fortunately, yeah. I got in pretty early, but I had I had a massive tumour off my thyroid and it was hanging down that wow. low that like it'd only ever pop out when it got super swollen, like inflamed. Um, but we caught it relatively early. Uh, unfortunately had cancer cells in it. So I went in, I got, they, they thought they could take half of it and, and just remove the side that the, the nodule they call it was on. Um, and they did that. So I went in for one operation, but then when they did the biopsy where they took it from the other half, there was another cell, like a nasty cell where they'd removed it. So they went back in and took the other half out. So, um, so yeah, and man, that was, that was, unfortunately that wasn't the biggest kick in the ass like i i it made me think more of it, but I kept yo yoing like so i'd 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 jump on a health kick and I'd get focused and I'd be good, but then I'd start feeling better and and all the rest of it, and then I'd fall off the wagon again, and I just kind of yo yoed for probably two or three years after that um and the only reason that I did that is because I just didn't have any self discipline and um, at one point, I just realized that I was never going to fix my health or achieve anything that I wanted to do unless I, I fixed my discipline first. Um, so I did a bit of a deep yeah. dive into that and and just worked out a way that I could work on improving my discipline, which for me was being like just scheduling things. Like I've always been massive on the deep dive and and I know exactly what I should do. I just could never implement it where now I've worked out a way – to implement things that I want to do that improve my life. And then, you know, and it's, and it you got to work on the low hanging fruit first. Like I used to jump on things like three day fasts and juice things and like just really extreme levels of training and, and, and ways to yeah. eat or, which you were ne- you're never going to, you're never going to improve. So for now, like now, if I was talking to anybody, it'd be always go for the low hanging fruit, which is the sleep health, um, which is is changing some stuff with your food. That's not super painful. It's not being on a diet per se, but, but it's yeah. it's doing those things that makes your body feel better. And when your body feels better, naturally, it's easier to do the hard stuff.
0: Yeah, I agree. That kind of discipline. It always always starts with your diet, I find too. Like I'm, um, yeah, a classic example of that. I'm a glutton when it comes to, you know, pastas and snacks and processed food, like you put it in front of me i'll devour it but i think having like you just said I like that point of like the discipline in place to kind of eliminate things that aren't you know serving you much anymore and you start at that ground level and you work your way up and you, you just just change your action of, of benefits
1: yeah but i wouldn't start with food like i i know foods yeah, right. foods foods probably the number one issue if if everybody was to say you know, what's what's my pain point? It's it's you know that I want to eat processed foods and yada yada yada. But I I tried food and I've actually got because I you know, I always want to document everything that I'm doing, I've actually got DEXA scan data yeah. of me jumping it on and off all these diets. And now that I'm you know, I've got my diet nailed, I know what works for me, I know what there's the stuff that I can stick to where it's not a problem. Um I still have issues now, despite losing probably 25 kilos, I still have really high visceral fat. And I've actually got mm. DEXA scan data of, of my journey, probably in that three year period before I finally worked it out, where I, I because I was turning the cameras on, I'd binge and I, because I'd want to see the, I want to make out that like, I'd want to document the massive change from being my heaviest at 125 to then getting down to 90 kilos. And so I'd binge, 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 Then I'd turn the cameras on, I'd go and get a DEXA scan, and then I'd do something extreme, like, you know, whether it was fasting or keto or whatever it was. And then I'd lose a bunch of weight. And then where I think I was at my halfway point, like say I've lost 10, 15 kilos, I'd go and get another DEXA scan, thinking that that was going to be the halfway point. But unfortunately, that always ended up being the end point because when I'd lose that 10, 15 kilos, I'd start feeling good, you know, and then I'd fall off the wagon and then I'd go back up again and i just kept doing that for like three years but i've got scan yeah. data of how my how my visceral fat numbers increased in that time because what happened was i'd lose the weight and i'd lose muscle and fat but then when i'd fall off the wagon i'd put on all fat and then go muscle and fat then all fat and i've and you know not not by not because i was doing any grand experiment but i've got this cool thing now where i've got this data of why my visceral fat numbers are so very bad Um, and, and so for me now, one of the challenges I've got is to basically try to get my visceral fat numbers down. So I've just done a two week experiment with hot cold therapy and saunas and, and, and the like, and, uh, I lost three and a half kilos of fat, but only about 10% of that was visceral. Um, so the next thing I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to sort of. Macro dose, not anything huge, but, uh, Omega threes while I switch back to a bit more of a keto style diet, because if I'm consuming fat, then it absorbs the Omega threes better. Um, but there's some guys that have Mm. had some really, really good results with Omega threes and visceral fat. Um, so I'm going to give that a go. And then I have, I've got booked in, so I'm going to do a seven day water fast. So I've got that booked in for February, where it's medically supervised. So because I've got Mm. still, I'm still insulin resistant, like I still wear a body CGM, and you know, I'm forever kind of health hacking, but doing doing the stuff that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So seven day water fast. Obviously, that's just Mm. what straight water for seven days, no food, no nothing else. What? um, So I heard a little bit about it. I know um, Dana White from UFC. He recently did one. And the study that came out about it was, uh, if I think this was for a three day, it might have been a seven. But if you do a three day water fast, it reduces your risk of any cancer by seventy percent. Yeah, what man. If saying, you, like, but...
1: I, I everything that I've seen regards to fasting in the data and the peer reviewed research, because there's a lot of, you know, you get this fatigue. I get fatigued that everything that you think is good so you can find out stuff that's bad about it. Right. And, and I think yeah. as, as things get adopted in the mainstream, so as people start talking more about fasting, you get other groups that have got a interest against fasting that talk about, Oh, you've got to worry, be worried about autophagy and you know, you need to be eating proteins and you can't not eat forever, which, which makes sense. Like if you were protein, if you were muscle deficient, um, I wouldn't recommend ever doing a prolonged fast because then, you know, that's that's going to mess you up. But for me, when you look at my DEXA scans, my bone density and my muscle mass, my lean muscle mass are in the 99th percentile. So if I lose, if I do a seven-day water fast and lose some percentage of my, my muscle mass, I've still got plenty left. I'm just, that's just the way I'm built. So mm. for me, a seven-day test works. And if it does happen to, like, for me, the ill effects of having fat sitting over all my vital organs and, and what it's doing to my testosterone levels and what it's doing, like the knock on effect of having the visceral fat, it's way more, like for me, it's, it's number one on my priority hit list of the stuff that I need to address. And because of the way I'm built and you know, I'm fortunate to have a lot of lean muscle mass, like autophagy isn't, uh, isn't a concern. It's not high on my list. So, so that's why I'm going to do it. I'm going to use, um, uh, just wasting of like muscle wastage and stuff. So, um, right. you know, depleting of your, depleting of your muscles and stuff, which is when you, if you eliminate protein, you're going to get that. But like I said, I've, I've got enough to go around. So <laughs> having seven days where I'm not working well on, on pro- like not getting protein in, isn't it? Yeah. Just, I'm just a solid nugget. So, uh, so I'm pretty okay in that, in that, <laughs> in that regard. <laughs>
0: Yeah, mate, what a uh, a wild health journey. And, you know, it's great that you're still um, obviously experimenting and trying to find things that, you know, make you the best human possible. And also, mate, the other exciting thing that you're doing is obviously working on your little, um, your, not little, your uh, your rug brand. Um, yeah. I've actually got one. Mate, the brand name slips my mind. Tell me the name again. Saltwater Picnic Cove. Saltwater picnic go That's right, mate. We use ours uh, all the time. Park beach. They're great, they're, especially yep. having a toddler. It's- we find you know, being that they're waterproof, they're amazing. So how how is all that going?
1: Yeah, it's it's good, man. We um we just took a year out to travel. So I pulled the kids out of school, and we've just completed the best part of twelve months of traveling Australia. So um, that business, we we kind of had an eye on setting up a business that would benefit us if we did that because once you know when I got my cancer diagnosis and I was sitting in a lead room for four days glowing in the dark because they blasted me with some radioactive stuff um, you know you kind of get to reassess your life and everything else and I just thought you know what like it'd be cool because my kids are 14 and 12 and I'm like this is kind of the last chance I'm going to get to just be fully engaged and with them because when you when they're at school and when you're at home and you're doing all the everyday stuff, like I kind of broke it down, and the only time that I'm fully connected with them is usually at some point during dinner, and it's not the whole dinner. Like if you're sitting down for half an hour eating, there might be a ten minute yeah. period where there's no tech, there's no distractions, you're sitting down, you're, you're having a conversation, and but when you look at a twenty four hour day, that's kind of it. It's ten or fifteen minutes in a in in that time. So I just I just thought, you know what, I just want to be not distracted, travel around, go and see some cool things. And, and they're at a good age, like if anyone wants to travel the country. And we bumped into a lot of people doing it, but they're doing it with young kids and they're forever having to entertain the kids. And the kids aren't really going to remember. Like our our girls at 14 and 12 are like mini adults. So you're not, you're not having to entertain them. They've got an interest in what's going on. So when you're going to a town like Albany, that's got a lot of history to it, they're interested in learning about what the whaling culture was and what this yeah. was and what, and it just, and it was just a really like, and then we're in the car crossing the Nullarbor and like, so we just, we spent the best part of 10 and a half months like this, like fully connected and um you know, and wow. it just, it, it was just a, it was the ultimate experience, but when we knew that we wanted to do that, we had a we had a dog collar business um, called Personalized Pet Collars, where we used to embroider names and numbers the dog collars, um, and that was my right. first foray into e-commerce. Um, but it wasn't a pure e-commerce because we needed a factory, we needed sewing, like we needed embroidery machines. I needed staff. I couldn't sell it on Amazon because it was personalized, and you know. So for me, while it was a good business, and we realized that e-com was a an area that we liked as a, as a, as a, you know, it being entrepreneurial in that space, it wasn't the perfect yeah. business for us. And so, anyway, we just, when we decided to sell that, I said to my wife, like, you know, what do we want to get into? And a long, long, long time ago, Emma, my wife, created the first ever kind of large designer picnic rug that was waterproof. Um, but that was before e-commerce was a thing. So she used to just run around and sell it at markets and it did really well. But when the kids started going to school, the weekends became precious. So she didn't want to be going to markets anymore. And we'd been approached by one of our suppliers, one of our wholesalers to buy it. And so we sold it to them. Um, And yeah, fast forward to now, we knew we wanted to be in e-commerce. We knew we wanted to travel and have a brand that we could, you know, that not only we liked, but that would benefit from us traveling around Australia. Um, the picnic rug thing came back up. And so Emma looked in, she looked, she did the research and she's like, there's a lot more companies that sell rugs these days, but you know, not any of them make the perfect picnic rug. And so anyway, I said, stupidly, I said, well, what's the perfect picnic rug? And she gave me a list like this big. Um, And so, yeah, I just worked with my sourcing agent to try to find, she wanted it made out of recycled materials so we had to find factories that could produce a, a material that was nice enough that had that luxurious feel, but out of plastic bottles. Um, you know, it needed yeah. to be non-toxically coated with things that made it waterproof and stain-proof. And, but then we also wanted it machine washable. And so anyway, we had this massive long list that we – and it took about a year, but we found it, and that's where the brand ended up being. And so we've just spent a year – visiting all the best picnic spots around Australia and getting content and in e-commerce content's king. So it's done really well. Um, the the whole landscape of e-commerce has changed a little bit at the moment and it's getting really expensive to get your product in front of people. Um, and, and so we're, we're pivoting a little bit more towards the the corporate side of things. Um, and when we were doing our B Corp assessment, at, at, that that sort of highlighted an area that we weren't really paying attention to, and that was, you know, being able to supply companies with corporate gifting or staff gifting or even merchandise that they could use. That's that's got way more benefits than just the gift itself. And and when we broke it yeah. down, like so much so much corporate gifting is getting done where the recipient would get it and it would go straight in the bin because they've got no use for it. It's just. You know, and then the company's yeah. just ticking it off. The, the, the PA of the CEO is just ticking it off to say, oh, yeah, we've done our corporate gifting for this year, even though it could be something that no one's ever going to use. So at least with a, mm. you know, we can do bespoke designs or we're doing something with the Tasmanian Walking Company at the moment where they've, they've, they loved two of our designs and they just wanted to put their own bespoke patch onto one of our designs. Um, so we're just yeah. about to ship them to Tassie. That'll be their staff Christmas gifts. Um Parkrun, we've just done a collab with them and they've done their own design. And so that's 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 where I'm passionate about is doing that sort of thing. And we're, we're talking with a lot of charities at the moment where we can provide them a rug that's kind of branded um, for the charity and then they can sell it through their community. We don't charge anything yeah. for that. We just they cover our costs and we give them a really good opportunity. But I think that's where the saltwater picnic thing is going to lead more towards that um, you know, B to B than D to C. But it'll still be D to C, but just not as big a focus.
0: Yeah. No, most definitely. And I think, you know the whole e-commerce, there's so much out there at the moment too. So, in, when you say that it's, it's, you know, it's getting expensive uh, to get your product in front of people online, are you meaning, you know, the cost of ads and advertising to get your product in front of people has gone up?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's because it's got harder. You know, like a while back, Apple did the iOS update and started stop giving information to to Facebook, so Facebook's now got to work a little bit harder to get your products into the right person. Um uh, during COVID, heaps more people started e-commerce businesses. So there's the supply versus demand thing because it all works off a bidding system, right? So back in the day when we first had the pet collars going, like I could spend, you know, if you will look at CPMs, it was just so much cheaper to get your product in front of a thousand people that would be likely candidates to buy it. Um, where now... Yeah. I don't think the data's as good so the 1000 people the quality of what they're pu- of who they're putting it in front of's probably not quite as good which means that your conversions aren't as good but the cost to get it in front of those 1000 people is like double what it used to be 2 or 3 years ago and right. that's just purely because there's yeah. more people during covid that started you know and when the co- when the economy's good man you don't like if you couldn't make money throughout probably even the last decade you shouldn't be an entrepreneur because like Never in the history of the earth has there been a better time to make money doing pretty much anything. Um, so, you know, mm. so so there's been so many people in the last two or three years, in particular, that have started, you know, drop shipping stuff out of China, or you know, um, or producing a, a product and, and getting it out there. And that, and it's just competition. So, you know, if there's, I even know, I think there's been like about six or seven picnic rug brands that have launched just in the last twelve months. That I've that I've noticed there's wow. probably a lot more, yeah. but like it's just yeah. And that's what we're competing against because every time we're trying to get in front of someone who's interested in outdoors or food or, you know, family or mums or whatever the, the categories we're targeting, there's just so many more brands targeting that same category, which means that you're bidding your price goes up.
0: Yeah. And I suppose like the likes of Shopify and all the rest of it, they make it so easy. Yeah, because it's all there for you. So regardless of whether you've got web developing experience or anything, and you know, especially with AI, coming into the mixes now, it's just so accessible and so easy for people to create an online business almost within a week. Oh, man, not
1: even. I think if you came to me with an idea, I reckon within two hours, I could have your product to market.
0: <laughs> it's like yeah, exactly. That's it's what I mean. insane. It's like it's a new world. That's never happened before. Um, And, mate, with so much on the go, like you've got, you search for her. You've got saltwater picnics. Uh, I'm sure you've got probably hunting other other things. How do you how do you manage that workload? And I guess, would I presume good stress and bad stress that would come with it. Man, it's it's self discipline again. Like
1: I I for me and and like self discipline will be different for everybody else based on you know what what you're into. But I've always been very efficient. Um, and if I can see it and schedule it, so for me, my Google calendar is is the most beautiful thing on the cosmos, right? So I just make sure like every single morning I wake up and and I get up pretty early and, and I've still had my eight hours sleep and of it, you know, I'm in the yeah. 90 percentile of sleep health because I prep myself well. But, you know, I have my black coffee, I'm up early. I do the things that traditionally I would balk at. Um first, so I do the hardest things in my day, so for me, you know the admin stuff and the like so doing my zero bookkeeping stuff and doing emails they 're the things that I would always palm off in in preference of going out and getting some cool content or you know going and climbing yeah. up a mountain so we could get content or do something fun like that 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 's the fun stuff for me, so I know i'll always make time for that but the that first thing yeah. in the morning like at five thirty six o'clock. I'm getting the first light, um, my 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 uh, neighbors must think I'm a weirdo because I'm standing on the grass with no shoes on, getting some good grounding going on, um, have my black coffee. Then I sit in my computer before the kids are up and before I've got any distractions for probably an hour and do that first light of admin. Um, and then I just yeah. know if the day turns to poop, the things that, you know, always traditionally for me used to always bank up and end up being a massive problem at some point because I just would avoid it. Um, i just don 't have those dramas anymore, and the rest of my day from like seven seven thirty is just stuff that I really want to do um, and hmm. since making i think you mentioned before about like health and business like I always used to say I was great at business and poor at health, but now that i 've made business my yeah. health it 's helped me you know like if you can if you can turn a weakness into a strength I guess that 's kind of what i 'm into and and so I just do blocks so I have a ninety minute block. Of of saltwater picnic every single day, and we're just fortunate that we're well, not fortunate. It was well planned. Like we we wanted to create a business with with saltwater picnic that, you know, if we wanted to, you know, travel around the wind farms or go and swim with whale sharks and the ningaloo or whatever it was throughout the year, that we weren't hampered by not being able to get away from the computer because of work. So that business has been beautifully mm. designed. That if I only want to spend ten minutes a day on it, it still runs perfectly perfectly well, but because we are shifting our focus towards that, you know, business to business and the corporate stuff, I just put a 90 minute block every day in where I focus on salt water for that 90 minutes and that's it. And that for me is I switch this thing onto airplane mode. um, And, and I just know that I do 90 minutes and I, and because I am efficient, I get quite a lot done in that time. And if I, if I spend 90 minutes on, that like on all my business interests every single day, it's probably equivalent of what I would do in eight hours if I was working for someone else and had the distractions of the water cooler and catching up on what happened on the weekend and talking about sport and getting emails land in and phone calls and all that sort of thing. So I, within, I probably work three 90 minute blocks each day where it's, it's just a hundred percent focused for 90 minutes on one particular task um, and then the rest of my day, I can go and spend having saunas and being in compression boots and doing hot, cold therapy or going for a run or going to the gym or, um, you know, and I think that that's that's a pivotal thing for me. And I guess what I want to maybe what I'll get into at some point, you know, consulting other people on how to get off life's treadmill, you know, you don't need to have that job. You know, if you've got yourself into a position where you need that 250K job a year, just to keep paying everything and like, and, and, but it's killing you. I'm like, what's the point? So, um, you know, yeah, a totally. lot of, a, a bit of a spin off to this is, is, and, and it's my Instagram handle is search for health. Um, is that, you know, it's, it's, it's as much as the, it's a balance between this and a balance between the, the, the health as well. So you got to have a nice mix between hurt and health.
0: <laughs> Most definitely. And yeah, I think that's a really good way to look at it too. Like you, um, You know, you said you're writing yourself off blocks to work on things and I guess building businesses that um, that sync with your personal values too. Obviously, that health aspect and then, you know, for Saltwater Picnic, it obviously relates to having that flexibility where you can go and, and travel with your family and traveling with your family, having a picnic at some amazing locations is part of the job description so I think that's a really you know you really thought about that I guess after some trial and error to to work out what's the best way I can work within my business
1: yeah for sure man for sure and it's you know I don't know you just gotta the big the biggest thing is knowing where you want to be I think and that's where I got lost for for probably 15 years or more is that I just didn't have I didn't have a goal I just you know for me it was just like i said jumping on opportunities those opportunities if i would thought about it they didn't tick the boxes of where i wanted to be as my best self in 10 15 years time but you get yeah. kind of involved in it then you're you're invested in it and then you've got to ride it out despite the fact that it's near killing you or you know you're now and and a lot of people get stuck on that and what i'd like to call the treadmill because they just get themselves into a situation and the treadmill only ever gets faster, right? Like you just, and, and then you look at your coping, what's your coping mechanism before all this, like you've got the stress, um, you know, and all the bad stuff that happens around that you get the lack of sleep because you're trying to balance heaps of stuff and you can only fit in five or six hours a night. You then try to compensate with eating crap food because you never feel great. And then you're drinking and then you're, and that was me, man. Rinse repeat for, for 10, 15 years. But at some point it all catches up to you. And um, while you're bulletproof in your twenties, um, you're definitely not so bulletproof in your thirties and your forties. And at some point like me, it all just came crashing down within a 12 month period.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. So search for her, When can we expect uh, to see some, some footage of that coming through? So,
1: the qualies we the qualies were supposed to finish at midnight tonight, but I've extended it through till uh till Monday because I'm not going to get a chance to look at the results to invite people to the next stage, which is Hurt Camp. Um, Hurt Camp, we've hired out Gosford Stadium, uh, and that's the 12th of January. So, so that's that's going to be when the cameras turn on officially for the first time. Um, but what I'm going to do. Because there's no spoiler alerts because we haven't picked the team – we won't pick the team until after Hurt Camp. We're going to be doing uh, a fair bit of live crossing from Hurt Camp because that's, you know, that's yeah. where we scientifically test them with, with when they turn up. It's where we have all these different sort of mini events that happen within the day just to mentally test them and physically test them. And And for me, I'm just always looking to see – like I'll see the personalities that I want to watch for the rest of the season – so, you know, there's, mm. even though they've got to be able to be, you know, cause we want to find that hybrid athlete, you know, the, the guys and girls that can, you know, run long and lift heavy and just have that mental fortitude to just bite down on the mouthpiece and get stuff done. Because uh, like a lot of the stuff that they're going to do is so varied that like maybe one of the events might sit in their wheelhouse, but I'll guarantee you the six or seven events don't because they're also varied. Yeah. So um, we just need someone who's got a bit of strategic thinking, has got that mental attitude that, you know, it's like they can, they can get into the pain cave pretty deep. Um, and that's what Hurt Camp's about. And so while it's, while I kind of facilitate it and I'm a bit of the evil genius sitting there, you know, stroking the cat, <laughs> um, you know, I'm just looking for those I'm, I, and I, I, I can see it. Like you'll see something that happens and I'll go, that's my person. So From Hurt Camp, where we have, we'll have between 12 and 16 people at Hurt Camp. I'm still adjusting the numbers. Um, We pick two guys and two girls that become, you know, official team search for Hurt, and that will take on lots of cool challenges like Backyard Ultras and, um, you know, ex-Terra triathlons and Spartan race trifectas and all that sort of cool stuff that happens around yeah. um, that doesn't get a lot of mainstream media coverage. So we're we're
0: pretty chuffed to get all these cool yeah. things on telly. Mate, it sounds really, really exciting. And, um, mate, looking forward and, you know, it's been great to chat with you today, mate. You've got a lot going on and a lot on your plate, um, but it sounds like, oh, you know, you're managing it amazingly well. And, um, mate, I'm excited to... to Keep supporting, you know, both your brands. Um, so we'll, we'll put a link to to all the listeners uh, to, you know, obviously follow what's happening with Search to Her and also to get one of those amazing picnic rubs of yours.
1: Yeah, mate. No worries. I appreciate it.
0: And, mate, thanks again so much for coming on. Um, appreciate it. And it's, you know, it's always great to chat with you and catch up.
1: Yeah, mate. Thanks. Uh, good to see you, Jack. Talk soon, mate. Talk soon. Bye.